following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I want to show you a picture to start out today. This is a, a picture of my younger son, Teddy. Isn't he cute? You know, the, the screen is a little bit washed out um, with the bright snow reflecting on it, but you, so you can't quite make it out maybe, but there's a really big nasty bruise right on his cheek. Do you see it there on the cheek that's closer to the camera? And um, this photo was actually taken about a week or so after the, uh, the event. <laughs> uh, it was much worse at first, so, so bad that I didn't even take a picture of it. Um, and uh, I'm sometimes, I confess, one of those parents who, who's more concerned with taking a picture of a moment than actually living in it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I turned my back on him for, I swear, for just a minute. And uh, I heard a thud and then crying, which... Yeah, I'll be honest with you, that happens probably eight to ten times a week in my house. So uh, it wasn't alarming at first, but I I ran into the room to get him, found him on his back next to the sofa where he had climbed onto the arm and fallen off and I I think hit his cheek on the corner of my guitar amp um, and and was just, you know, screaming. And so I I picked him up and carried him into uh, into the kitchen to try to settle him down a little bit, and also because it was really disturbing his older brother to see him crying, and I wanted to kind of separate that situation. But anyway, I, I set him up on this table and, and looked at him, and I, I was shocked at what I saw. His, his face had swollen out somewhere between a golf ball and a baseball. It was really swollen and already started to bruise, and I could see blood starting to trickle out of his mouth. And I... So I, I got him to open his mouth just a little bit so I could see where the blood was coming from. And I saw another golf ball size swelling on the inside of his cheek and this nasty bite that he'd done when he landed on my, I think, on my guitar amp. And it was just swelling and I could almost see it getting bigger as time went on. And I was terrified. I had, I mean, he's fine now, right? He's a little goober and you, you've seen him running around. But at that moment, I had no sense yet of how bad this was going to be. And um, I was terrified. Have you ever had an experience where somebody who was close to you was was injured or sick and you just didn't know how bad it was going to (laughs) be? I mean, for for those of you who are parents, you're probably thinking about an experience with your kids because that's the thing that's closest to us. But this this could happen to anybody and has happened to anybody and probably everybody. I mean, I think back to... I had a friend in high school who... who, uh, out of the blue, was suddenly gone from school for three weeks because that's how long you have to be in detox rehab when your sister walks into the living room and finds you unconscious with a liquor bottle. I mean, I can imagine his sister's face when she saw this event. That feeling of terror, of, of helplessness. We've all felt that in one way or another at some time or another. And you're probably thinking of an occasion right now what I want to ask you to do is hang on to that memory, remember it a little bit. We're going to come back to a moment like that when we get to the end of, the, of today's Bible story. Um, but for now, let me take your mind off it and <laughs> um, 
set the stage for today's gospel lesson and, and the series that we're starting, or maybe I should say restarting, because uh, if you've been around here, you've seen this graphic before, and you've seen the signs of faith thing, and you know that we are returning today to the Gospel of John. The New Testament contains four books that are called Gospels that tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and John is the fourth one in our Bibles. And uh, we've been going through it uh, maybe three, five, three, four, five weeks at a time um, for a for a while now, and then we'll go off and do some other things for a little while, and it might take us a couple of years, but we're going to get through the whole book um, one little section at a time together. Uh, and so I, I would encourage you during the next four weeks to read along with these texts. I would encourage you to use these texts devotionally um, in your own personal Bible reading. Please go to John, and uh, next week we're going to start with the first section of John chapter 5. You can always find these the specific verses on our website, and I'll try to post them on Facebook and Twitter and that kind of thing too, so make sure you're following us there. Um, but I would love to have the whole community reading these texts devotionally and then coming to church on Sunday and hearing um, my thoughts on things, and maybe we can have some dialogue and, and our experiences with the text will be uh, richer for hearing each other's voices. Okay. So we've called it Signs of Faith because the Gospel of John contains seven signs or miracles that Jesus performed. Now, Jesus performed more than seven, but John chooses these seven, and he tells us at the very end of the book, the last two verses of the entire Gospel of John uh, in chapter 20 say this, and this is his old reason for writing the book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. And so I just want to say to you all that that's what it's all about. That's why John wrote his gospel, and that's why we are studying his gospel. We want to study it for the same reason he wrote it, that you might see these signs and come to believe in Jesus, that he's the Son of God, and that through believing in Jesus, you might have life in his name. That's the whole reason for what we're doing. So these signs are given, John says, so that you might have that type of belief. And the first of the seven signs we did several months ago was in John chapter 2 when Jesus turned the water into wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. You remember this story? You, if you weren't here that day, you probably still have heard this story at some time or another. That was the first sign. And today, uh, and there's lots of other stuff that happens in the gospel in between, but today we come to the second sign. I'm going to read that story in a minute, but before we do... I want to give you a little bit of background and context, and I do this because I personally find this very helpful in uh, trying to understand the Bible, to know some context, to know where things happen and that kind of thing. And uh, so I want to do that because my hope is that you um, don't come here to hear sermons of where I tell you what to believe about the the text. I will do that from time to time, (laughs) take it or leave it. But that's not the only thing. I also want you to to be equipped and learn how to study the Bible on your own. And one of the things that's important is to know the setting, right? And so I'm going to give you a very brief geography lesson here. And some of you have been here when I've done this kind of thing before, and you, you already know some of it. But I'm going to show you this map of the region, and I get to use the laser pointer here. Which one is it? The one that says laser. Thank you, Ken. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, so first we'll get our bearings here. This is the Mediterranean Sea, right, which is shaped kind of like a big oval that goes this direction. So as you go to the west of this picture, the left here, you'd see Greece and Italy and the north coast of Africa, 
right there in the corner of our back wall, right? And that's the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and we have Jerusalem here, the holy city of Israel, the subject to this day of much disagreement and uh, fighting. We also have Bethlehem here, which is the city uh, in which Jesus was born, a little town of Bethlehem, Christmas hymn, because that's where he was born. But he lived here in Nazareth. Um, and you can see the scale right here is about 20 miles for that distance, so that's quite a ways. Um, the, and then you see these, these larger words, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Those are the regions of this, this country. Uh, Judea is the best because they're close to Jerusalem. Um, Galilee is second best because they're farther away. And Samaria is this in-between place with in-between people who have intermarried with pagans and so forth, and they are not to be trusted uh, or touched or engaged with in any way if possible. Um, And so what we read in the beginning of chapter 4 is that uh, Jesus had gotten into a little bit of trouble with the Pharisees in Judea, right? That happened in chapter 3. So the start of chapter 4, he decides he's going to go back to Galilee. And along the way, in Samaria, he meets in this little town right here, Sikor or Sikar, the the woman at the well, who's a Samaritan woman. And he has this this conversation with her and this this great experience. And if you want to catch up with that, you can go find our podcast from the last time we were in John. Um, And most of chapter 4 is spent in Samaria with this woman and with her uh, countrymen. Today's story is the very last passage from chapter 4, and it takes place after Jesus had spent two days in Samaria. And uh, he, he continues his journey to Galilee, right, here. And in fact, he, he stops in Cana, which is the same little town he performed the first sign in, the water into wine. And then part of our story happens about 20 miles away in the city of Capernaum, right there, the north, north shore of the Sea of Galilee. All right? That was not too bad, right? I see that most of you are still awake. If you hate geography, I, well, I don't understand because I think it's interesting. But um, I hope that that gives you a better capacity to kind of grasp what happens in this story. So let's go right to it. This is John four, forty-three through 54. And if you don't have a Bible with you that you're going to look it up in, feel free to use one of our red Bibles. There are other under your chairs or in the seat pockets in front of you. And you want to turn to page 865, the very bottom corner, for uh, verse 46. I'll give you just a minute to take a look at that. Would somebody mind grabbing me a a cup of water? I'd be really grateful. Page 865 in these red Bibles, and if you brought your own, that's okay. Even if it's a different translation, we're actually going to get to that concept in a minute. So let's read this passage. You can follow along with your ears or your eyes or both, whatever you'd like. Then he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had changed the water into wine. (laughs) Tim just said that's still water. (laughs) Very funny. Um, (laughs) Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. By the way, down is probably a topographical concern. In the Bible, up and down doesn't mean north and south the way we think of it looking at a map. It usually means up or down a hill or a mountain. So I'm I'm guessing that Cana was 
higher in elevation than Capernaum, especially since there was a little C right there on Capernaum. Okay, he went down and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my little boy dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. As he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover, and they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. You know, sometimes, sometimes the, the language of the Bible is a little bit sterile. Um, especially in the case of the Gospels, it's telling a story, but it's doing it more in a journalistic kind of way um, than in a novelized kind of way, if that makes sense. Yeah, in other words, you have to work a little bit to grasp the emotion that is present in the narrative. Because the, the, the writers don't really explain that to you. They don't give you a lot of details about what things are happening. And um, so one thing that I like to do, this is a little, uh, I think it's a spiritual exercise, is imagine these stories if they were set as a movie. Right. So if this, we have some filmmakers in the room. If this story was set as a movie, what would you choose as your opening scene? You can answer if you want, but... Do you suppose it would be a... I would choose a landscape. You would choose a landscape? Okay. So you get the setting. You're, that's very Coen Brothers of you. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably sepia-toned. And <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. There you go. Yeah. Um, you, you might... Uh, there, we could have as many different artistic answers as we have artists in the room, which is a lot. But I guess... What I'm saying is I don't think that the, movies, the movie would grab much attention if it started with a two-sentence conversation between a royal official and Jesus in Cana. I like to imagine that the, the movie would open with a dimly lit room in Capernaum with a very sick, to the point of death, child on a bed, maybe crying out in pain. And the father drastically and dramatically running about, racing about, trying to gather together what he needed to make a journey of 20 miles, which without cars took, it would appear, longer than a day, (laughs) to go find this faith healer (laughs) that he'd heard about in hopes that something would happen. And it's that moment that I see in my mind the house in Capernaum with the, the boy on the bed that makes me think of that moment that I had Teddy propped up on the table and I was seeing his cheeks swell and his mouth bleed and I was wondering, am I going to have to call an ambulance? <laughs> That's the moment of emotion that I think is not quite obvious in the, in the telling of this story, just reading the text. 
So when the father comes to him and it says he begged Jesus to come help his son who's at the point of death, it kind of makes a little more sense if you think about it that way, doesn't it? And by the way, I do think that this royal official was a Gentile, a non-Jew. Um, it's likely that he was a royal official in the Roman occupation of this, this uh, country, uh, the Roman Empire. That's not really the point for us today, but I do think it's really interesting that you see Jesus' ministry progressing from ministering to the Jews in Jerusalem to ministering to the half-Jews in Samaria to ministering to the not-at-all Jewish person in Galilee. Um, and if you want to score some Bible nerd points, you could, you could think back to Acts 1.8, where Jesus talks about how the gospel will spread and in what direction and in what places. I will let you do that on your own time, though. Um, a very interesting parallel between this um, series of events in chapter 4 and Acts 1.8. But here's the spiritual observation that I want to make about this passage and this story. Did you notice in what direction the official had to move to step out in faith relative to Jesus? He had to move away <laughs> from Jesus. And I, I was reading that this week, and I, it just really struck me. How much more sure would this official have felt if he could have convinced Jesus to come with him the 20 miles to his house? Because it's not a 20-minute walk. He's not going to get there until tomorrow. And this whole time, Jesus is behind. He's left him behind, and he's acting on one word. Jesus said, go. Have you ever felt like the very moment when you needed Jesus to be closest to you, he sends you away? Points his finger toward your Capernaum, whatever it is, and says, go. Ah, but it wasn't just one word, was it? (laughs) He said, go, what? Your son will live. Still, not much to go on. The word of this teacher, healer, person. This last resort option. To respond to this statement that Jesus made, these instructions to go because your son will live, to respond to that in the way he did, away from Jesus, the official had to demonstrate real faith. Now remember how I do and do not define faith real faith. I used to define faith for myself as um, being able to will yourself intellectually to believe in something that is otherwise impossible to believe. That's real faith. If you can just convince your brain to say, yes, I believe that God is real, or the resurrection happened, or Jesus, the story about Jesus healing this boy is actually the truth. If I can just convince myself in my intellect to believe that for real, then I will have real faith. That's what I used to think. I don't think that anymore. I don't think that's what faith is anymore. My new definition of faith is more simple. It's trust. It's trusting in Jesus. Specifically, trusting him enough to step out, to move forward even when you can't see the whole picture. 
by that definition of faith, the royal official had it in spades. He didn't have any proof. His proof was hours away. Yet he trusted Jesus enough to go, to step out. You know, there's another interesting thing here. There's two usages of the word believe in this story. If you have your Bibles, it's verse 50 and verse 53. Verse 50 is when Jesus says, go, your son will live. And then John says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. That's the kind of faith I'm talking about. That's the kind of belief that I think is the real thing. And then in verse 53, after he's home and realized that the timing lined up perfectly, it says, he himself believed along with his whole household. And I think that second usage of the word belief is, uh, that's more like what we traditionally mean in, in Christianity when we say someone believes or when we say someone is a believer, that that's a moment of conversion, of conviction, when the man is now uh, whatever will eventually become known as a Christian, <laughs> he and his whole household. But he had the, the faith that I define as real faith before he got to this point of um, conversion moment, if you will. He trusted Jesus. And in between those two usages of the word believe, we have this. In verse 51, after, he, after he's gone on his way, it says, as he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. Now that is how this version of the Bible translates it. If you don't know this, John was written in, in Greek, our manuscripts are in Greek, and we have had numerous different translations of that Greek into all kinds of different languages, importantly for us, into English. Um, it doesn't, they're, they're not layered, so it's not like this has been reinterpreted a hundred times, so it's not like we change the words from the English we already have. Every time this happens, we go back to the Greek and make this new translation. They're all good enough, Okay. Um, we tend to use this one for a variety of reasons I won't go into now, but I was reading this passage devotionally this week, and I was reading from the NIV. Does anybody have the NIV today? What does it say at the beginning of verse 51 in the NIV, that w- which is just a different, again, a different translation of the same Greek words? Who has it? Yeah, read it out loud. Okay, that first phrase, while he was on his way, or while he was still on his way, you have the 1971 NIV, and I used the 2011 NIV. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Ken has both, because he is our resident what? Bible nerd, yeah. <laughs> while he was on his way, I don't know which is a better translation, uh, you know, linguistically, but devotionally, spiritually, I love this phraseology, while he was on his way. See, sometimes the evidence doesn't appear until after you are on the way. 
after you've taken that step of faith, that real faith, that trust to go out without all the evidence, along the way is sometimes when you catch the evidence. And if you stand there waiting for the perfect evidence, the perfect proof, you are never going to move. And guess what? You're never going to get it. Sometimes the most significant things with Jesus take place when you feel far from him because you have trusted him and stepped out. So if you want, and <laughs> I don't like to use this phrase, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you want a miracle, does not I sound like a televangelist when I say that? Just reach your hand out and touch the screen. And <laughs> make your checks payable to Scott Austin. Not Tracy. <laughs> no. I was going to make a stupid joke, and I missed the whole point. Listen, if you, if you want a miracle with Jesus, you have to get on your way. You have to trust and step out. So my question for you this morning is, are you on the way? Have you stepped out? Have you maybe stepped out a long time ago and then stopped? (laughs) We have a whole range of spiritual experience in the room. Some of you are not on the way yet, and you need to take a first step of faith. This is a wonderful place to do that. It would be a perfect day to do that, the first Sunday of the new year. Some of you uh, have been on the way for a long time, and you've gotten distracted by the pretty flowers (laughs) or the sparkly stars. Um, You have spiritual ADD. (laughs) That's a a funny phrase, but that's the truth, don't, uh, don't you? Every little thing that comes along distracts you from the way that you are on. Some of you have intentionally turned around and walked back. Screw this, I am done. And it might be time for you to trust Jesus again. Are you on the way? I want you to answer that question um, silently for yourself. I'll give you a couple of seconds. God, thank you for this beautiful story from the Gospel of John uh, of a royal official who, in a last-ditch effort, went to Jesus and trusted him enough to obey that one simple word, go. I pray, God, that as all of us who are in our own ways, that royal official, with our own problems back in our own personal Capernaums, I pray that we would have the courage to trust in Jesus, to step out on the way in the hope that while we are on our way, we will receive the news that our miracle has happened. 
Give us your Holy Spirit. Fill us. Equip us with understanding, with bravery, and with trust. Amen. Um, those of us who are on the way respond to the word of God at the communion table. We, we come to receive the bread and the wine, remembering his body broken for us, his blood shed for our sins. In doing that, we are in unity with each other as brothers and sisters in his family, adopted heirs. <laughs> That's how the Bible describes it. And uh, it's also food for your journey. Food for your soul is what John Wesley called it. And if you are tired on the way, it, you receive his grace in this sacrament. Um, so those of us who are followers of Jesus, this table is open for you for the rest of our service. Um, I'd invite you to come and receive it. Um, our prayer team will be here in the corner, and um, maybe especially today, if you have made some new decision about trusting Jesus, please, please go and share that with a member of the prayer team. You have to, you have to own that kind of thing, or you're going to forget it by the time you hit wherever you're going. If you share it with somebody and have them pray for you today, I bet you'll remember, and I'll bet that prayer person will remember, and we'll talk to you about it again. Um, so please come in and pray with the prayer team. Uh, and I would love to hear the news of that, that moment of clarity, that moment of decision. If you've had one today, please tell me about it too. I would love to pray for you during the week and uh, talk to you as you go forward. Our table's open. Let's continue to worship him together. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.